we've been here about what seven years, maybe eight years, and coming here and there. It's always been good. Um, I understand that that you guys had a a review. Are you, are you guys done with the review on first Tuesday? So hard, just so hard. Uh, we had one. 15 months ago or something like that, 18 months ago, man, <laughs> those are hard, and um, you know, you, you have to keep believing that, that God has something really, really sweet for your congregation, and uh, shaking isn't a bad thing, right, it's uncomfortable, makes us a little motion sick, but shaking is God's gift to us. And so, COVID, church reviews, weird guys coming to share because your lead guys on a holiday, right? This is uncomfortable. And and <laughs> I often think God called me to be the uncomfortable speaker, but you guys can you guys can can judge how it goes. Um, I like to bring uncomfortable words to Landmark. Um, you know what? I, I love you guys. I love you. I don't have to conjure it. I don't have to stir myself up. I don't have to remind myself about why I love you. I just love you. And, and so it's always, it's always good to be here. We should get on topic. Um, so that was all just fun, stupid things. Let's pray. Let's give ourselves to the Lord that that He would deposit something really valuable in our hearts today. Father, it's it's so good to be in your house. Um, I want to testify that whether there is one person here, 50, 100, 200, you're the same. And and the things that we sing, the things that we say, the things that we pray are, are it's still right in your audience. And, and so it doesn't matter. It's really awesome that people are here. Right? But, but you're the same. And, and for anyone who's not here that's watching the television set, Lord, uh, I want you to remind them that you're the same. And, and that you want to do something. You want to encounter, and you want to grow us in here. And we ask that you would do that. Amen. Well, this might be one of the most exciting sermons I've ever done. And, and it's like, okay, great, good one. Uh, you should always be excited. But, but I was thinking today, if this was the last topic I ever covered, and I could never deviate it from it, I would be happy. I would be very happy. Because I think that this is one of the biggest struggles we have. And it's the struggle of affection, of love, the things we glorify in our hearts, the things that we celebrate and look to and enjoy and eat and drink from. We're in a battle for our affection and in our 
confidence in? What are you confident about today? Is it the mask? Is it the jab? Is it the not jab? Is it the not mask? Where are you gaining comfort and stability from today? And what makes your heart come alive? COVID has really exposed a lot of things in us. Like, I don't know if they're all good things. Because we got a really good reminder of the things that we run to. Because we've done a lot of running. Life has been so hard. So stressful. Then you add a review on top of that. My, go- my goodness, it's, it's almost unfair. But examine your lives. And examine the things that you most feel drawn to when you're the most needy. And those are the passions of your heart. And, and if I can press one button, I'll probably press some other ones by mistake, but it's out of love. But if I want to press one button in you guys today, it's affection. What do you feel deep, hot love for? Paul in Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians 3 and 4. Chapter, th- chapter 3, chapter 4. So if you want to turn there, you're not going to be lost. And Paul is looking, is, is, is helping the church feel really bad about themselves again. And, and I want to tell you why. See, Philippians, unlike some of the other works of Paul, is a positive letter. He's not spanking anyone in Philippians. He's actually really thrilled with them. They've been a faithful church. They were actually the first church he planted in Europe. And he almost didn't go there. Except the angel told him, you got to come this way. And it was really neat how Philippians got started. He went to the river. He met Lydia. He got thrown in jail. They got beat up a lot. Jailer gets saved, baptized, church. And, and Paul rolled that way. Um, but, but I want to read Philippians 3. And I just want us to walk through it and talk about and examine ourselves to Scripture. So, Scripture is, another word for Scripture is called canon, right? Has, has anybody heard that term? The canon, right? You know what canon means? It means the standard. The standard, right? So you go fishing, you pull the fish out, and you want the standard to tell you if you're really, really thrilled about the fish or not, right? So you take the measurements, and you want to see. And we get to measure our lives by the canon, the standard, right? And so we read, and we measure, and we read, and we measure. And this is, this is a great passage to do that. Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to go uh, right from the first verse because there's a, there's a great theme. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and it is safe for you. As in, this is really good advice. Rejoice 
in the Lord. Glory, satisfy, celebrate the Lord. And it's no problem to anyone because this is always going to be good as well. A little negative. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Gideon. Right? And, and what did they want to do? They wanted to say, our hearts will be clean by God, and our bodies will be clean by us. And together, beautiful partnership. Except that's not what God wants to do. Right? God wants to take hold of all of his children. Not just the scrubs. All of the children. And Paul's saying, don't listen to those guys. They have it backwards. And they were everywhere in those days. He says, for we are the circumcision. It doesn't get done to us. We are set apart as God's people from the inside out. Not by what we've done. Not by anything that we bring to the table. But as the truth and value and new life of God pours out of us and creates a new being. Paul's saying, I have some good advice for you. We worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Okay, that was the big problem with the Gideon. They're saying, I'm going to do God a solid, and I'm going to take care of the flesh, and I'm going to feel really good about my walk. Lots of that theology still right? And probably, probably, no, it's, it's what you say. It's in my life, it's in your life. Okay, I went first, right? But, but we all want to take some confidence in the flesh. We want control. We want to feel good. We want a different standard. Right? Glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And now Paul's going to get his crazy talking on again. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh... If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he actually did. Paul was the man in the flesh before Jesus broke him into a million pieces. Amen. Circumcised on the eighth day, perfect, of the people of Israel, God's apple of his eye. Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisees, so perfect doer of every little rule that they made. They made a lot. Lots of rules. Their God became rule. Under the law, blameless. Number six, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, 
as to righteousness under the law blameless. So Paul had all of his ducks in the row. In the ancient world, in the Mediterranean where he lived, in the communities that he fellowshiped, he was the man and had every reason before Jesus blinded him and said, I'm going to show you what exactly this life following me means. Paul had every reason to be very confident in this. He was as successful at that time as a Jewish citizen could be. He was even a Roman citizen, for goodness sakes. He was the best of both worlds. That guy could go anywhere, have influence anywhere, have tons of money, lots of comfort. And he was good inside the church and in the community. Pharisees didn't ruffle feathers. They played nice with the Romans. And now Paul gives us something that is difficult because if that, hey, if, if that was the, the meaning, that would be great. We could do that. We could say, okay, that's the standard. Right? Paul just laid out the standard. If you want to be right, here is the measuring stick. And every day you can wake up and say, I'm good with God, I'm not good with God because this area I need some help, that area I'm doing really strong, and so the balance, you take the average, and I have a passing grade, and so today it's good. But that's not the standard in which he's talking about. He's saying all of the things that I put my confidence in were very reliable and perfectly celebrated. Until verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, now he doubles down, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Now there's a few things he's saying here. He's saying a lot of things. The first he's saying is if you hold up two things to celebrate, and we do this all the time, we have the thing that I want and the thing that I need to give up. This is simple math. This is the first math we ever learn. If I want to play with this toy, I, have to, I can't pick up that toy. And if I want to put down this one to get another one, I have to actually lay it down. That is the first math we ever learn. Right? We can't have everything at once. And Paul is saying, even though in the world standards, I have everything I could possibly ever want. I count it as absolute waste for the sake of having Jesus. Now, if you lay down everything a human could want in the world for the sake of something else, how high of a value does it make that other thing? Right? Because... He wasn't laying down, you know, I had a couple of robes, and I had a spare pair of sandals, 
and I had a couple of scrolls that were faded, and I couldn't even read them well. And I have a lame camel, but I still have a camel, and I could give all that up, but I get Jesus. Isn't that something? He's saying, I had everything. Everything. And here's where Paul differs from us, is we often stop short, and we martyr ourselves. Okay, this is what I mean. Fasting, going on missions trips, anything that we could do for the Lord, here's what sometimes happens, is we say, God wants me to go and do this, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to be challenging, and I'm going to have to give up so much, but in the end, I get to glory in being obedient to God. You ever say that? Right? In fasting, I'm hungry, but I'm hungry for God. I'm doing it. I'm following the rules. We get a lot of satisfaction and a lot of reward for following the rules, for doing a good job. There's a lot of satisfaction that comes from doing a good thing. I'm the least handy man in the world, and I laid some drywall mud, or not even drywall mud, drywall tape, this mesh tape, and I put it on straight, and I thought, well, I guess I'll get up my own home show now, because I'm the man, right? I'm not handy at all, so that was a big accomplishment for me, right? Self-adhesive, uh. and I was like, okay. My day is good, right? We, we, we take so much pleasure from a job well done. And here's what Paul is not saying about Christ. He's not saying, I gave it all up and it was really hard, but God's going to pay me back in the future. Or I'm, I'm going to get all my rewards in heaven. I'm so in heavenly seeds by laying this stuff all down. Yes. That is not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, in the here and now, I can give up the whole world. And I'm ahead of the game. Because I got to lay all that down and grab Christ with both arms. Right? It's not a concept. It's not a concept of, this is really hard, but God's going to pay me back. Or this is really hard, and I feel good of being this suffering servant super duper, he's saying, I traded my whole life for Jesus, and I'm way ahead of everybody else. The surpassing worth of Christ. This is affection. This is confidence. And I want to tell you, if your Christian life is about self-sacrifice and following the rules and ticking the box, and being a good Christian, you're missing out. You're missing out because the point is not to be a good Christian. The point is to have such an experience of Jesus that nothing matters. I've been an elder in my church for, I don't know, two years, year, 
three years, something, right? And my, my process was like a year and a half. And they kept telling me, you'll know you're ready to be an elder when you don't care about being an elder, right? And my process was hard. And so by the end, I was like, great, super. So what do I do as an elder now? Like, like I don't care, right? And, and when we move everything to this system, when we need all of the wells we go to to be full and refreshing and everything we need, our life is one big hospital of empty And we don't live free. We don't live full. We don't feel, we don't live joyful. And we don't live fruitful. Because we're constantly managing our satisfaction and we're constantly we're constantly trying to find energy to do good work. Good works do not require energy. They require affection. And then you don't worry about the things that you do. You don't worry. A lilac bush, an apple tree, they don't sit there straining all their worth trying to pop apples out. They receive the goodness and glory of the sun and exalt him by producing much. This is the life that we're called to. It's a beautiful life. It's a life that can cause us to say, I've given anything up, and anything that I haven't given up is totally fine, because the only thing I need is the only thing I never have to give up. We never have to give up Christ. Never, not one minute. Not one minute. So, great, great. Jesus is awesome, right? Jesus is awesome. He came to a people that didn't want him from a God that had been rejected for rule. For a God of orders, for a God of personal responsibility, for a God of personal works, he was rejected. Israel wanted a king, and they wanted rule. Torah, Talmud, all this stuff. They, the rule to follow. Because they wanted a God that they could control. And they got that. And God, who never fully gave up on his people, sent his son Jesus. The perfect man who ever lived. Perfect in every way. Perfect. And his only job was to showcase the love of the Father every minute of every day of every year he was on earth. That was his job. In John 14, 13, he said, I've come to show you who my dad is. I often wonder what it would have 
felt like to perceive Jesus there. And how normal, how soft, how loving, how patient he would have been. And how it flew in the face of the God they thought they knew. And yet Jesus says, as long as I show you who my dad is today, I've been totally fixed. And he died on the cross and he rose on the third day and he sent us his Holy Spirit so that he could actually declare to his disciples, it's going to work out better that I go, which is preposterous. Right? If you have him and then he leaves, it's never better. Ever. We're constantly trying to get him in more of our situation. Except that he sent his Holy Spirit whose only job is to be Jesus inside of us. Like, that's, that's crazy. Except that it's completely true and available to every single one of us. The very essence of God is available by faith in each one of us. You can be five, you can be eight, you can be three, you can be 88, and the Holy Spirit of God's job is to take the very best part of Jesus and by faith and by a supernatural power put it inside of you. And to that, Jesus says, it's actually better than I'm going. It's better. Because I get to put myself in you. And here's the beautiful thing. This is the crux of it all. The beautiful reality of Jesus, who is perfectly alive in heaven, reigning forever, forever has already started for him, gives his spirit and pleads our case daily to the Father. And we have access to all of it inside us. Every bit of love, every bit of worship, every bit of acceptance, every bit of security, everything we could ever want. You see, if you look at the world and you look at all the vices in the world, from things you'll find in Vegas to things you'll find in Canada to games on your phone, right? I don't know if, I don't know if that's the hierarchy, but it doesn't matter. There's a lot. There is a lot of ways to satisfy yourself. A lot. There is a lot of ways to fill yourself. Because here's the thing. We, we ingest, we take in the, the things that are meant to be filled by God, but the world has given us a substitute. You're still taking something in. It just has zero nutrients. Right? It's, it's like doing the... Um, you know, that race acro across the desert that takes like four or five days and, and packing McDonald's french fries. Like, you're going to die, right? You, you are not making that race, right? There's nothing there that's going to sustain you, right? Man cannot live by trans fats alone or whatever, right? This is a work. But we look at all of the 
temptations in the world. And what those are actually meant to show us is that we have a God that wants to satisfy every single hunger that those are meant to trigger. Every single one. From sports, to work, to money, to lust of the eyes, to security, to conflict. We have a thousand idols for a thousand needs and one God that would like to satisfy all of them at a level that is, is not even measurable. And that's a God that is worth sacrificing for, dying for, digging in prison for. Right? How is Paul able to say earlier in Philippians, Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ, to die is gain. This is the same guy. He's saying, either way, I win, and I actually want to die. I am so, I, I grieve often about my desire to not die. I don't want to die. I, wa- I, wa- I want to I I be married for 40 more years. I want to I hold my son's children. Right? I, I want to see William stay single for another 40 years, right? I got to, right? I don't want to die, and I'm so ashamed. I'm so ashamed. Because Paul was completely right. Because he had, he had a glimpse of Jesus that made everything else fall away. And we know when we get there, we won't have any, any, you know, sadness. We're not going to have regrets. You know, we're not going to get to the gates if, if, you know, this next year somebody passes away. We're not going to say, um, well, Jesus, that was awesome, but I, you know, I need to get back to my son's baseball game. I, I told him I wasn't going to miss that. Right? It, it's, it's all not going to matter. And we have these intense joys in life. We all have intense joys. We're going to do a lot of them when we leave today. And all of these pale in comparison of really seeing Jesus, feeling for Him, knowing Him, thinking about Him, communing with Him, worshiping with Him, speaking to Him, having Him lead and guide you and touch you and fill you and love you. And this is our life. And this was the core of Paul's belief. I'll give it all up. Any second. Because I know the surpassing worth. And so we measure ourselves. We measure ourselves. What is the thing in our life that we would say has surpassing worth, that we would give it all up for? Right? If we lost it today, we would say, no problem. What's the thing in our life that if we lost it today, we would grieve about and not know where to find ourselves? Because that thing may be the thing that we're being filled by. And here's the hope that Paul had. Here's the future hope. In verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, 
but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's amazing. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And then he starts to give us some ways forward. Because it's all good. But how do we begin to continue to foster a love, a passion, a desire for Jesus that maybe isn't naturally in us? Because I, I don't believe that we're all there. I'm not there. That's why I want to keep living. Because I don't fully understand who Jesus is. And Jesus has taken me on a wonderful journey because I've been Captain Duty. Right? If I said that to grade oneers, they would go crazy. All right? But I've been that guy who wants to follow the rules, work really hard, and at the end of the day feel like God loves me and that I've paid him back to save me. Who wants to pay God back for, for their salvation? Everybody does, right? And so keep your hands down if you want to pay God back for your salvation. All right, very good, okay? By faith, I know it's true, right? We all want to do that. How do we pay him back? Our deep, heartfelt affection where we say, take it all. I get to keep Jesus, and I'm coming out ahead, right? I'm not a martyr. I'm not a suffering servant. I'm not a great disciple. I love Jesus. I know his work. I experience him. I think COVID has wanted to teach us about our affection. And I wonder if we're ready. Because we may not get another test again before the wheel is done. Right? It's possible. It's totally possible. Right? When the end times come and Jesus is pulling his church out of the world, if you're not 100% sold out for him, you're going to fall away. Because the world will desire to take everything from you. So what are you going to hang on to? With your dying breath, what will you hang on to? And it's going to be the thing that you have the most passion for. And so Paul gives us some things to do. We like things to do. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. In verse 17. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. So here's the first thing I want, I want to give you to do. If you hear what I'm saying today and say, you know what, yeah, okay. I accept that my affection, my love, my passion for Jesus is the only thing I can take with me and it's the only thing I'm going to keep uh, faithful in and it's really the only thing I can pay him back for all that he's done in my life. Okay, great. 
So how do I begin to get that fire going? And the first is really simple. Paul says, imitate what I do. And imitate what the people who follow what I do and do what I'm talking about do as well. And so examine your relationships. Are the people around you causing your affections to grow or to dim? Because those are the only choices. Right? The song says we're either sowing to the spirit or the flesh. It's one or the other all the time. Right? That's a soaking song of, of some sort from my early days. But it's the truth. We're either getting closer to Jesus or further away. Our heart is either being satisfied in Jesus or it's being satisfied in something else. We don't have two stomachs. We don't have two souls that we can kind of multitask and move things around. It's one or the other. And so are the people blowing the embers of your heart to help the flame really come alive or are they throwing water on it because it's only one you can't have both are the people helping you become closer to Jesus or further away right and this is for everyone every age especially as you get older and you need to find a spouse right is your spouse going to cause your affections for Jesus to grow or to die? Those are the only, those are the only choices. Two more things that we can do. Verse, or in chapter 4, of the, so at the end of Philippians, verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Further in, on verse 14, verse 14, sorry, verse 4, my bad. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And now he gives us the thing that we, that we can do to build our affections. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure... Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. John Piper testifies that when he went to Bible college, it was his thinking about God, his understanding of God, that fueled the passions of his heart. We don't think that. I've been to Bible college, and one of the things that can happen is that people spend so much time thinking about God, they have no feelings towards Him. And yet Piper says, and Paul says, and we should definitely trust Paul, and Piper's pretty solid, that 
the things we think about in accordance to God should fuel our passion and desire for Him. And so we read and we learn and we listen and we think and we imagine. Don't be afraid of your imaginations in your times with the Lord. My son Sam and I have a prayer whenever he gets scared, right? And whenever he gets scared, what do, what do we tell God to do to the scary thing? No, in the... I knew you were going to say that. Right? The better version is we say he kicks him in the butt, all right? And so why can we not teach... Why can't we teach our children these these imaginations that are true, right? When, when God comes against the things we are afraid of, he ravages them. It's, 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 right, it's really bad. He destroys them. They cower, and, they're, and they become nothing. And so why not already be using the imagination in accordance with God? In our quiet prayer time, in our closet, we can imagine all sorts of things. That's why there's so much good material on the Bible out that's been brought to life. If what you can watch on TV is a good reflection of what the truth of the Bible is saying, it doesn't mean you stop reading the Bible, but you can supplement your Bible reading with imagery. Right? It, it allows the story to become closer to you. I spend so much time thinking about God. And when I'm worshiping, thinking about what I'm worshiping. And God wants to take hold of our imaginations. He wants to cleanse them. And he wants to really pour images of himself in there. And you would be amazed at how your affections for Jesus would grow. The other thing I would say just is about feelings. Don't be afraid of emotions with God. Paul wasn't. Paul wasn't afraid. And sometimes in church, we can be afraid. As worship leaders, again, you don't want to pull on the emotions, right? That's manipulation. You can't do that, right? I don't want to pull on the emotions. I'm actually abusing the congregation if I start picking at you. But emotions are made by God so that we would encounter Him. How are you going to love Him with all of your heart and treasure Him above all else? That you can say, I am so much further ahead because I've laid everything else down for Him. And say, I, I don't want to get too fuzzy. I'm going to get in trouble. Our emotions, just like our imaginations, our thoughts, God wants to speak to us through those and build that desire for Him. The desire that can take us through. The end game is always Christ. Always. And always the surpassing work. Whatever we have to give up is going to be Christ. But think about what this kind of love will do at, at the same time. Jesus says this. He says, seek first my kingdom. And what do they do in the kingdom? 
They, they're just loving on the lamb. Right? They're worshiping him. They're laying their crowns down. They're saying, whatever it costs, whatever I had, the elders of the crowns earned those by hard suffering living, and they say, you could gladly have it, you're my burden. And so Jesus says, do that, and I, I'm going to supply everything else. What do you think this love that surpasses all other things would do to your addiction? It would satisfy them once and for all. What do you think it would do with your distractions? Your distractions of phone, of television, of Netflix, of fire sticks, of every other medium, right? These things are out to dull your senses and to make you easily satisfied. And Jesus wants to purify your satisfaction and crave the very thing that he is. What do you think this would do to your family situation? How much would COVID matter? How much would wearing a mask matter? What would it matter? What would it matter if you had to go to church and wear a mask? You had to stay six feet apart. When the very essence of you comes to life in the clearest, most satisfying, longest lasting way when Jesus is glowing on your Everything else falls away. Everything is meant to fall away. And we're meant to travel exceedingly light because the very thing that we have is knit into our DNA by the Spirit. He's worth every cost. And not as a martyr, as somebody who chooses the very best thing. All right? Just to close this with, with, with an image, John, New John New Paul Newman, big movie star. Somebody asked him, "Do you ever get tempted by all the women throwing themselves at you?" Anybody heard this quote? Okay, Paul Newman said it did. All right, and he said, he said about this temptation. He said, "Why would I settle for hamburger?" when I have steak at home. Right, he was complimenting his wife. I'm not going to settle for the lesser thing. Right, our affection for Jesus, it should be that thing that we won't settle anything for. And it's so available. And God is so generous. It is God's job to love you, and he does it gladly. And so, as the team comes up, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what your struggle is today. But I want to pray about two things. One, that if the issue is, I don't feel that burning love for God. I want Him to minister instead. And on the flip side, if the issue is, I don't feel that burning love from God. I want him to minister to you that, to in that as well. So either I don't have the love for God or I don't believe that God has the love for me. Because all of these things are the beginning, the basis, the starting line.
for a love and an appreciation that far outweighs any cost, any era, any time, any pandemic, any barrier. Starts within us and it's a hundred percent available to you today. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship. Father, uh, on behalf of the congregation, on behalf of the people that are watching, on behalf of myself, we give ourselves to you again. We open our arms to you, we become vulnerable, we fix our gaze on you, and we want to get real, and we want to say, Jesus, I don't have that same love for you that causes everything else to fall away. I'm still holding on to things in the world to satisfy me. People, places, activities, and I'm so empty. And I just don't have that, that passion inside of me. And I say, God, would you fill that passion? Fill the affection that is meant to take us through every storm and every good thing. So much so that we say, I don't care. I don't, I don't care what's going on. And God, one of, the, one of the hardest things for us to learn is that we are loved by you. We know it in our heads. We don't know it in our hearts. And when life gets hard, everything in our heads falls away. And we feel totally abandoned. And so God, I ask that you would pour your love out to every age. Every age that is here, Lord. Give us a love for you and allow us to experience the love that you have for us. In a way that begins to start a new fire within us. That we can join with Paul and say that whatever it costs, you are And I'm better off and more victorious and more satisfied than I've ever been because of gaining you.